Welcome to the Edified Equity Podcast. My name is Dino, and here we focus on all the unique benefits associated with being a passive equity investor in an apartment syndication. You can learn more about and follow us on the web, iTunes, Anchor, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and our award-winning blog on Bigger Pockets. All associated links will be in the show notes. If you find this information helpful, please subscribe, like, comment, rate, and review. Today on episode number 81 of the Edified Equity Podcast. I have with us Yona, the cost seg king, and we have a really good program for you. Yona, before I even go into more detail, I just want to say welcome to the show. Have you heard of the Multifamily Investor Nation Summit? It's coming up January 16th through the 18th. It's a three-day information-packed event for multifamily investors with over a 1,000 attendees and over 50 speakers. You'll hear from experts about finding deals, raising capital, underwriting strategies, selecting markets, and so much more. I've been invited for the third time to speak on the state of the multifamily market. Go to apartmentevent.com to grab your ticket and use promo code DINO to save $100. Whether you are a seasoned multifamily investor or just getting started, you don't want to miss this event. Thank you so much, Dino. It is a pleasure. And waiting for this moment for so long. I know, it's, it's too long. I don't know what took us so long. We're probably both really busy um, with operating businesses. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> no, really, I do appreciate you having me on and uh, I'm happy to, to be here to share whatever knowledge we can share. Yes, thanks so much. So, Yona, also known as, by many, as the cost seg king, is a powerhouse with property owners tax savings. Uh, and that includes me. As a business director at Madison Specs, which is a national cost segregation leader, he has assisted clients in saving tens of millions of dollars on taxes through cost segregation. He has a background in teaching and a passion for real estate and helping others. Today, our goal is to go through a case study and with conversation, show you how and why you should utilize cost segregation and bonus depreciation. So having said that, Yona, if there's anything extra you want to add uh, related to the intro, feel free. If not, go ahead and jump right into it. Um, I think you, you summed it up uh, just to, yeah, that's, that pretty much sums it up. That's right, let's jump great. right into it. <laughs> okay, perfect. So uh, I, so, yeah, yeah, I asked him to, to, uh, to go through a case study because one of the things that I wanted to accomplish today is, um, and we'll get more into you know, the tax portions in a second, but I really wanted him to show why it is a, why I, wanna, I don't want to say for it's a catch all, but why for the most part, 
depending on the purchase price and, and what you plan, the business plan, what you plan to do. If you're buying a vintage property and you plan on doing a lot of value add, why for the most part, it is a great idea to utilize bonus depreciation as well as cost segregation and taking us through a case study, even to include some of the recapture that we here talked about, but it's less understood. And that's the goal of the program. Exactly. So we're not going to get right now into the nitty gritty of you know, what is cost segregation, how it benefits you. I think we can get into that a little later, maybe, or, sure. you know, you can definitely read up on that. And, but I, I appreciate the, you know, being able to provide some more detailed information into an actual case study. So let's say you invested into a syndication, right? Let's say you invested into a syndication through edified equities, right? In a real estate uh, syndication where you are a limited partner. And as a limited partner, you own a share of the equity of that property. Um, or the entity that owns that property more uh, exactly. Right. Let's say you own a 5% equity stake in the investment. Okay. So it was a, a million dollar, right? Property. And just to make things similar, a million dollar raise of the equity, let's say, just to keep it simple. And you, you know, invested $50,000. So your stake is going to be $5,000. As a limited partner, you are going to have a share of the equity of that property and a share of the tax benefits that come along with that uh, tax. The main tax benefit being depreciation, right? Depreciation is an income tax deduction based on the purchase price of the property, uh, the day that you bought it. And then is, you know, it's a portion of that every year for 27 and a half years, you get a small amount through cost segregation, bonus depreciation. We're going to front load a lot of that and get a lot more benefits in the earlier years. Okay. So over the first five years, we're going to identify personal property that, you know, is going to be a large percentage. You're going to get to take the depreciation on the personal property over the first five years. So again, as an investor, 5% of that you're going to get as a tax deduction, which will then be able to be used to offset the income produced from the property. Okay. So just to keep it simple and I'll do a yeah. case study in a second. So you actually see the numbers, but you just to keep it simple. Let's say your $50,000, right. Got you a 10% return on your investment. Okay. So this calendar year, you made $5,000 from that. And you also received $5,000 of depreciation deduction from your 5% of ownership. So guess what? the $5,000 that you earned is now tax-free. The depreciation deduction has now offset that income and the income that you're making from that property is totally sheltered from, uh, from that real estate investment. Right. So that, I, that is a great example. Thank you. So I think now what, and what I'm thinking, and maybe I'm jumping ahead, but one of the things that I wanted to kind of get clear as the LP, mm -hmm. If they are um, not a real estate professional, as the IRS would define one, are they, is that deferred? Like, so it, you, you broke even, you made five, but you wrote off five, so it wasn't taxed this year. Um, later on, are they gonna pay something or it, was it, is it truly deferred? It's truly- I'm deferred. sorry, sheltered. Sheltered, truly sheltered. Yeah. The income that you made from this 
year's income is sheltered from that direct deduction. Got it. Even, even as an LP. That's great. So real estate, I just want to get this clear because this is great info. Real estate professional or not, per the IRS's definition, it is sheltered completely. That 5000 you made it, they wrote it off, you're taxed zero it, forever. Correct. Got it. Correct. That is a correct statement. Um, from the income that you made, you are not taxed at all. Okay. Um, if, the, if the depreciation, like our example, is equal or greater to the amount of income uh, that you're getting from the properties. So where it's going to get a little more complicated, which I hope to break down in a simple form today, is when you're taking more depreciation deductions than you have income. Okay? Yes. And, and what's the difference between if I'm a real estate professional versus if I'm a LP uh, versus even if I'm an LP, uh, but just happens to be an LP, uh, excuse me, a real estate professional, but an LP in this particular deal. Right. Okay. So that's really where it's going to get a little, a um, little more complicated, but I think we're going to clear it up. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to share my screen for a second. I think we're going to look at this case study. Is that, is now the time for that Dino? Yeah. And I just want to throw in real quick, cause someone might be wondering like, so Dino, you are an active multifamily, like an independent deal sponsor. Your firm is, why would you be an LP and, you know, let's pretend like Yona's deal. Uh, you have nothing to do with Yona except like, you know, like, and trust him. You think he's a great operator. The reason is because uh, a lot of active general partners have disqualified funds. So if I'm using, for example, a solo 401k and I have $250,000 in that solo 401k, even though I love my deals, obviously, the government says you cannot use that money in your own deal. You can use it in someone else's deal, but you're going to be truly limited. You have no say so. You're not active. Um, so that's why when you threw that in, I, I just wanted to make it clear that other operators invest in friends or pe like people like, like I said earlier, they like know and trust. They believe in also not just them as operators, but they believe in the deal, the market, the whole nine yards. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, a, that's an excellent point. I will take a little bit of a tangential um, or maybe even just parenthetical on what you commented on the 401k money that happens to be one of the scenarios where you're not even going to benefit from the depreciation uh, okay. because the 401k money is not taxable, right? And so therefore it is not going to be able to benefit from the, the tax deductions that come from uh from the depreciation from the the properties so that is a, another important thing to note yeah. there are you know if from self-directing the iras are taxable and can benefit to offset the taxes from there 401ks or roth iras are unique in that they are not taxable and therefore don't get the depreciation uh, benefit from that so that's a unique kind of uh, aspect there got it Okay, so um, let's get right into it. Should I pull up that screen and, uh, yep. and look at yeah, this case study? Okay, let me just click the slideshow button over here. And something's wrong with my mouse right now, but I am going to, there we go. And what did I just do now? Now, I have to exit that. <laughs> <laughs> what I do? Okay, let's exit that. What 
what's happened. Okay, first I'm gonna share the screen. Okay. We're, we're not too technically, uh, uh, okay, now everyone sees my screen? Okay, now we can start the, the slides. Yes, perfect. Perfect, okay, we do this, and then we do that. Perfect, okay. So here we have a cost case study on a cost segregation multifamily owner's property. I'm just gonna go back a slide just to give you a little bit of a story to, you know, picture a story. This is actually a real property in North Carolina uh, that was purchased by someone was a 32 unit garden style apartment. As you can see in the pictures over here, if you are watching the YouTube or you're watching the video, if you're not, just, just imagine this in your mind. If you're listening to the podcast, beautiful, right? Landscaping, right? Beautiful uh, asphalt. Actually, the asphalt's not so beautiful, but just picture that like it is. And you have, you know, it was purchased for $1,750,000. So $1.75 million was the purchase price for this property. And again, the depreciation is determined by the purchase price. Doesn't matter if you bought this building highly discounted and the value, you know, you got an appraisal and then the value is really $3 million. Your depreciation deduction is going to be based on that purchase price. Okay. The advantage of that, uh, one advantage of that is that it doesn't matter if you put any money into the deal. Let's say you've got a seller financed deal. That means you put zero of your own dollars, but the title went into your name. Therefore, it's your property. And the, you know, the title in the closing was for $1.75 million and you didn't even put a single dollar or you got it financed and only put down 20% or you had a syndication. And, you know, you only put in $50,000 and investors took the rest of the equity. The purchase price is still going to determine the depreciation for that entire property and the tax benefits that come with it. doesn't matter who's paying for it. Okay. So this was his first multifamily um, property purchase after many single family residences. And the reason why I want to point this out is because there's actually a story behind this, that this particular gentleman uh, had a failed 1031 exchange. So without getting too deep into what that is and how, how that works, um, basically a 1031 exchange is a way to defer capital gains tax when done properly uh, through the sale of, of properties, real estate. This guy sold a large number of single family um, properties that he had in order to buy this building. Uh, and happened to be that, or he actually sold in the previous year and missed the opportunity to do the 1031 exchange. So he was hit with a very large capital gains tax. And then he met me. And then we learned about cost irrigation and he realized that through the cost irrigation, what we were going to do was produce, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little just to give you the story. We were able to produce enough depreciation to actually offset the gains, the capital gains that he would have had to pay awesome. from the failed 1031. So depreciation does not only go to offset your income tax, but it can potentially also be used to offset capital gains tax as well. So there are a lot of advantages that um, are to this. And so this guy basically, he, he called me up on the phone crying, tears of joy that he would, he would not have to pay that, uh, you know, six figure tax bill that he was expecting. Yeah, I bet. Okay. So without cost irrigation, the depreciation on this property would have been $54,086. And how we got to that number was by taking the purchase price, a million seven fifty, 
and detract, subtracting a certain value for land because land itself does not depreciate. And right. so we subtracted 15% from that. What we were left over was um, about, well, let's just do the math over there. Not a lot, right? About a hundred, a million, excuse me, about a million and change, about a million eighty is what the depreciable basis was. So you divide that up by 56,000, uh, 27 and a half years, and you're left with, um, excuse me, one point, about a million and a half, excuse me, not one million. A million and a half was about what the uh, purchase price. And you divide that by 27 and a half years, every single year, the depreciation deduction would be about $54,000. <clears> now, if you're making money on this property, let's say you're making $54,000 of income, net operating income, from the property. So the regular depreciation that you're getting would cover the entire income. And so right. again, it's equal. The depreciation is equal or greater to the income produced from the property. Your entire income is tax-free. Okay. And that spread to the investors. He didn't come with any investors, happened to do this property on his own, but the same would apply if there were investors. Again, your portion of equity would give you that percentage of that depreciation that you could use. Now, it happened to be this was a very good income producing property. So he actually was making a lot more than $54,000 of net operating income from this property. He was making closer, <clears throat> excuse me, to $100,000 of net operating income, which would still would leave about 50,000 that 54,000 that would get knocked up right away from straight, regular straight depreciation and another $50,000 that would be taxed at your tax rate. Uh -huh. uh, whatever your income tax rate would be property. The income tax from the property is not different from your income tax rate. Um, if you, if the, if a corporation owns the property, there may be different rates for that. Um, but generally speaking, people own properties in an LLC, which is just a pass through. And that goes directly to, um, you know, based on your personal income tax rate. I did hear recently that there are certain countries in the world and they don't have depreciation, but they have different, um, someone told me today, uh, yesterday, actually, that in Israel, a friend who owns properties in Israel, there's a, uh, a tax rate of 10%, a flat 10% rate on income produced from rental properties. Hmm. So that, so that's, that's something interesting to note. Yeah. There's not just a random trivia fact for you to know there, but, um, getting back to our story, he was still left with about $50,000 exposed and would have been taxed. Okay. Right. What we did for him was the cost segregation. And just moving to the next slide over here, <clears throat> excuse me, you see, if you're watching the show, we did, you know, subtracted 262,000 from um, the basis, which left us with about 1,488,000. We split that into three categories. Cost segregation segregates the costs, okay? We break out, the engineers break out the building, that's the main structure. And in this case, it was about 72% of the property was allocated to the structural components. And that's not just walls and roof and foundation, even things like main plumbing and main electric, all the value of those things, um, windows, doors are also structural. Mm -hmm. uh, so all of the value of those assets and many more things come out to be 72%. So that's a little over a million dollars was of the regular gets, um, depreciated on the regular 27 and a half year schedule. Okay. So a million dollars from that alone, he's getting about $30,000 a year just from that. Um, but when we front load the 8% uh, 8 of 15 year land improvements, 
okay, which is all that beautiful landscaping we saw, okay, the, uh, the pavement, the asphalt, the curbing, even stuff like if there are, if there's signage, you know, if you have a uh, retaining walls or, uh, you know, main uh, drainage, sewage uh, mains. So all that is considered 15-year assets and depreciate all the value of those things depreciate on a 15-year schedule. That was 8% of the value of the property over $122,000. So divide $122,000, um, you're getting about, excuse me, 122. I should have probably put this in the, in the slide over here, but I didn't. So we're just going to do it manually. Divided by 15 is getting you an extra 8,000 or so of depreciation every year. So we're up to 38,000. All right. And then the five in the first 15 years. And then in the five year properties, 20%. Okay. And this is pretty typical for multifamily properties, somewhere between 15 and 25% for the five year assets. And the five year assets include all the stuff that's in the building is not part of the structure. So furniture, appliances, fixtures, carpeting, cabinets, countertops, all that stuff yeah. that has a lot of value to it. Um, over 20%, which we're talking close to $300,000 of depreciation that now we can take in the first five years. That's an extra $60,000. So altogether, you know, we're getting in the first um, five years of ownership about $100,000 a year as opposed to $54,000 a year. Right. Okay. And remember his income on this property was about $100,000 a year. Right. So he basically through the congregation, you know, paying a fee to do the service, which is about, you know, somewhere between four and six thousand dollars generally for for multifamily properties don't hold me to that but uh you know that's that's what we charge generally speaking for you know these size multifamily properties he was able to shelter income from this property for the next five years okay hundred thousand dollars in your pocket cash yep completely never going to be taxed on it it's it's totally sheltered because of that Exactly. So what he actually opted to do because of his situation with the um, capital gains, uh, you know, that he had missed through the 1031, the failed 1031 exchange that he was expecting, he opted to take the 100% bonus depreciation, which is a new law that came into pass in the tax reform 2018, the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which allows you to, to opt. And again, this is only able to be done through a cost segregation study. It's an election that you can either calculate it the way we just described, allocating five year, 15 year to the property, or you can elect to take the entire five and 15 year depreciation in year number one. So he decided to take $421,000 of depreciation in year number one, which not only knocked off his 100%, $100,000 of income, so he's left with another 321000 of extra depreciation. What's that going to go towards? That went to knock off his capital gains tax that he had. Uh, so he was left with no, cap, no income tax mm -hmm. from the properties, no capital gains tax. And he was a real estate professional. So he was able to use that to also offset his other active income and his spouse's income as well. So basically he was left with not only income, 100000 from the property, he was left with no capital gains tax from the failed 1031 exchange. He had other income and his spouse had other income that was also sheltered through this extra depreciation in this year. And he was left with $100,000 of cash flow that he could now go ahead and reinvest into a new property.
Yeah. So I th this might be jumping ahead because I don't I don't have all of your presentation. I don't have it right. memorized. But my question is, let's say he didn't have because he's got the 421 and change thousand yeah. because Absolutely. of the bonus. Now, let's say between um, his he missed the he missed the 1031 exchange. So he has to pay that tax. And let's say between him, because he's active, his other active as well as his spouse's other active, let's say it wasn't. All of that combined, it probably was, but all of that combined was under 421000 and he has like 100000 excess of the tax benefit. Does it roll over next year? What happens? Great question. That any extra depreciation that is not used, regardless of the bonus depreciation or not, <clears throat> excuse me, creates a passive loss, which means it goes into like this imaginary bank account um, in your tax return that doesn't go away. You don't lose it. It actually just carries forward. It goes to the next year Got and it. rolls over. And then you can use that next year. Now there are limitations to what you can use that for next year and how you can use it. There are obviously rules how to use it. Um, you have to use regular depreciation from that year's taxes first, right? And then you can dip into the passive loss. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but, but yes, it does carry forward until uh, either it runs out if you have excessive losses, um, which means basically all the income from the property is getting knocked off and you have excess, carries on until it runs out or until you sell the property. When you sell that property, the depreciation from that property that is in passive loss gets released. It means it gets released that now can be, if there is anything left over, can now be used um, actually to offset income tax, uh, excuse me, the taxes from that year, the income tax from the property from that year, as well as uh, potential capital gains tax as well, or what we're going to get into next, which is the depreciation recapture tax. That's great. That's great. So essentially it rolls over until it's used one way or another. Exactly. And then if it, if there is anything left over after that, after you sold the property, then it's lost. Okay. But still, I mean, you would have had the benefits. You would have be. You would still be very happy with the outcome. Exactly, hundred percent. Exactly. Okay, so yeah. So what uh, shall we touch yeah. on the depreciation recapture tax next? Yes, definitely. One one thing, even before uh, we do that, something you said because I know listeners are probably. Um, wondering about this. There is a, so four to six thousand is what you said. What you charge. But my question is, uh, that's if someone actually went through with hiring you. It's not for, I don't know if I'm saying the right words, but for a quote. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, we always um, provide an upfront, no cost analysis of, the, of your property to show you what your potential tax benefits would be. Right. So that we do as a service, it's free no cost, just, you know, educational purposes so that you can understand, you know, we provide like a chart, some charts and a mm -hmm. sample depreciation schedule, you know, so you can compare what my straight line depreciation is and what it will be over the course of ownership versus if I did the cost segregation, you know, what would it be in the first five years versus after that it would be less depreciation, et cetera. So you see, right. yes, yeah, so that we provide at no cost. Um, <clears throat> then yeah, once you decide to engage us, we'll send an engineer to the property to take right. the you know the report and then you know produce the the study 
right? That's, that's the real cause. I just want people to be, I just wanted people to understand because we have active operators that tune in as well. Um, mm -hmm. And anyway, I just want them to understand it doesn't cost $5,000 to get Yona on the phone or, or, <laughs> or you know, someone at Madison. <laughs> I maybe, maybe I'll start, but no, no, it's uh, <laughs> for the time being, it's, it's free. Okay. <laughs> That was sarcastic in case uh, you're just listening. No, <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I just, I wanted to, to be clear because there's formulas and things that they'll run. And like you said, they'll send you charts. So you have a good idea, but then when it gets to the nitty gritty, they're going to send the expert out and say, okay, that was, that was our best, you know, in good faith quote, here's what we find. It's uh, we're right on the money. It, we're actually a little bit better, a little bit under, but nonetheless, they're going to give you probably a conservative ballpark of what you're looking at. Correct. Yeah, we always aim to do conservative and we'll actually undercut it yeah. uh, always on the estimate just so that we will outdo that no matter what on the, uh, the actual study. Great. All okay. right. So, yeah, yeah let's go ahead and move on. Let's move on. So, yeah, just, just a little bit about, you know, one of the main things that people, um, you know, hear when, when they hear about cost segregation, you know, they, they hear, well, what about depreciation recapture? Yes. This is a very big, you know, Kind of like taboo amongst many people in the industry they don't like to talk about it and the truth is one of the reasons why people may not want to talk about it is because there are so many factors that will come into play to determine what that will be of course okay and i'm not going to actually give a whole course now on, on what that is in the three different buckets that depreciation recapture tax will fall onto into excuse me that's probably a better conversation for you know, if you have a specific situation for your accountant, but I will describe what happens when you sell a property. Um, so yeah, like we said, when the whole time that you're holding the property and you're benefiting from the depreciation deductions, you know, if it's equal or more to the amount of income coming into you, then that money is tax free. Okay. So you're investing money tax free, which is definitely much better than, you know, putting it in the stock market you know, any income that you're producing for anywhere else. Correct. You know, correct. There's no doubt about it. In my experience, hands down, um, there is, there is no better way. And of course I, I wholeheartedly looking at the numbers. Um, I mean, it's just flat out evidence that the multifamily space, when it, when it's done correctly and you utilize all the extra benefits and, and tap into the tax benefits, utilizing services, like Yona and Madison provide, there's just, I, I just don't see another, a better opportunity. And there's many ways to do it, but the need, the demand, the supply, everything you look at, it's, it's all pointing in the direction that we have a very long runway ahead of us to supply, you know, especially in, we specialize in the workforce housing space. We don't build, right. we don't develop at all. We don't um, buy at luxury and we stay away from, of course, the war zones as well. So, yeah, so excellent. So I will, you know, come in and say, even before we get into to this topic, that don't get me wrong, the real benefactors for cost segregation specifically are going to be the real estate professionals, the active investors, because, because of one thing and one thing only, because they have a benefit that nobody else has, which is, which is probably, the, if you ask me, the craziest law in the entire tax code, which is that if you have extra depreciation above and beyond the income produced from your properties, which is passive income, you can now use those deductions to offset any of your active income, you or your spouse's W-2 income, your, your 
any other income, if you're a real estate, um, you know, broker or a realtor and you're making, you know, large commission checks, you can literally use the depreciation to offset that and pay, you know, sometimes little to no income tax whatsoever. And so they are truly the main benefactors with that regard. But, you know, just getting back to you know, what we started with, and obviously to those who are listening, who are more focused on the, the LP side, focused on the equity investors, you have a tremendous benefit as well, because like we described until the income you're going to be getting during the course of ownership of that property is for all intents and purposes, you know, going to be tax free. So that's, you know, tremendous. But, and the but comes in because when you sell a property, um, that's where things get a little tricky. Okay. So when you sell a property, you have what's called two taxes. One is called capital gains tax, which is if you sold that property at a profit, that profit is that's called the gain mm -hmm. is going to be taxed at a certain rate. Sometimes it's 20, some, somewhere between 20 and 30%, mm -hmm. um, you know, depending on different factors so on a federal level and a state level, sometimes even in like New York city in a city level, you'll get capital gains tax. So that's going to, you know, and there can be a 1031 exchange that can defer that further on. Great. There's also something called depreciation recapture tax. Now, just to clear out something, a misconception that a lot of people, you know, get there's like, well, if you take depreciation, when you sell, you just have to give it back. Wrong. You don't give back anything. Okay. What we do when a property is sold, you are now taxed on the amount of depreciation that was taken. So you are, before we get into, you know, what to do about that, let's just understand the mechanics of how that works. There's like I mentioned before, there's three buckets of how the depreciation recapture is taxed at, but when you sell a property, the amount of depreciation is calculated over the course of ownership. And if you took conservation, you took a lot more depreciation, uh -huh. right? Because you not only took the straight line, you know, depreciation, but you actually took, you know, a personal property. It's called the 1245. So it's actually taxed, um, you know, a lot more because you've taken a lot more, correct? Right. Now, there's two ways to look at this. One way is, well, great. All the time that I, you know, may held this property, I made a lot of money. And all that was tax-free and I reinvested that money and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now I saw it. I'm going to get hit with the tax on that. Great. The other way to look at, you know, and that's like, okay, I guess it's just the price to pay for making those returns. Okay. And that's a nice way of looking at it. But the other way of looking at it is, well, let's look at my entire tax picture and see what I can do to now mitigate that, to now go ahead and, make sure, right? Because conservation is not just a strategy to, you know, offset the tax, the income tax producing the property, but it's actually a way, as we'll see shortly, to actually counter the depreciation recapture tax as well. Great. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. Great. Yeah. Because just, just to be clear, we're, we're talking about two different types of taxes. One is you invested as an equity partner, you have ownership, but you're limited, you're totally passive, but the operators put in the time, they waited for the right calendar date with the market, they, what they predicted would be the best, they had a great offer, they sold, you now made a profit, which you want, don't get me wrong, I mean, the, look, the profit is always going to uh, outweigh the 
I don't know what the right word is, but having to pay the tax on it. Okay. And then the other tax is what you were talking about. You're going to get taxed on the amount of depreciation that you benefited from through having the investment. But it's a great, I like how you said it. Nobody's taking anything back. Um, there, you're just now paying the tax on the depreciation. Not that was totally sheltered, but the depreciation now benefit is going to have a tax. Exactly. Got it. Um, and, and again, now comes the consolidation to see how we can actually combat the depreciation recapture tax, which is twofold. Number one, actually threefold. Okay. Which the first one doesn't have to do necessarily with consolidation, but if you were to do a 1031 exchange uh, at the sale of a property, that not only defers the capital gains tax, but also defers the depreciation recapture tax. Okay. So that's number one. Okay. If you're in a syndication, it's not likely that it's going to be a 1031 scenario. They do exist. I've seen them. We work with them, right? There are tenant in common structures, uh, tick structures that can be done, but majority of the time it's not. Okay. For many reasons we're not going to get into today. The second uh, thing is that there's something called, which we, which we, before we get to that, the second thing is what we already mentioned before, which was that if you have an excess of depreciation mm -hmm. through the bonus depreciation or through, you know, just the excess of depreciation and you have a passive loss, those passive losses get released, as we mentioned before, on the sale of the property and now can be used to offset the gain and the depreciation recapture tax. Okay. So you have taken the depreciation, right? Which is crazy. You've taken that depreciation, it's created a loss, and then when you sell, it comes back and now can be used to offset the, the recapture tax. So it actually taking that extra depreciation is actually a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's the second thing. The third thing is something that most people haven't even heard about. Um, accountants should know what this is, but it's something called partial asset disposition. Okay. Okay. This is something, right? Think of disposition means selling a property, right? Disposing of it. When you sell a property, you... You sell the entire property, but since you've already done a cost segregation, what you have told the IRS is, and this is according to their rules, that I have been depreciating my personal property over a five-year schedule. Mm -hmm. And if you sell the property after having held it for five years, you have essentially used up that entire five-year assets. And they basically, from a tax perspective, have little to no value left to them, which means you are not going to be taxed on the depreciation recapture on it because it no longer has value. That is great. And, and that includes, I mean, so you, for example, I think uh, you mentioned countertops were in there. And let's say you have, I mean, some of these apartment communities um, that even that that I'm on the active ownership side on um, we have tenants that that is essentially, I mean, it is their home. They've been there right. 10, 20, you know, 15 years. So if they're just taking care of it, like their home, there's no reason a countertop can't last more than five years. Of so course. it's still being used, exactly. But, but on paper, it has no value. Therefore, are you saying, um, I mean, they, they can't tax me on something that is zero value. 
Correct. Well, they can't, well, exactly. They can't tax you in depreciation recapture when I'm saying that there's no value left in it. So, and this is not something that you can just like, there's a special form to fill out. So it is something that, you know, you want to definitely discuss with your accountant how to do this is a special form on the sale of a property called partial asset disposition. You can Google it if you want and find out a little more. So by doing that, what you're doing is that at least the five-year property, the personal property that we front-loaded and we took advantage of and took all those extra deductions from, if you've held the property for five years already, then you can basically allocate little to no value to that portion of the sale, right? right? Mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, by telling the IRS, that has no value. So the capture, excuse me, calculation is going to be less because of it. Correct. Um, yeah. The, however, if you held a property for less than five years, now what do you do? So, you know, there are definitely strategies out there and depending on how aggressive you want to get, you know, you can do this partial asset disposition as well on that five-year property uh, proportional, I guess you would say to, you know, how long you've held the property. So if you held it for three years, so you may just give a, you know, a 60% or a 40% value or, or even a 20% value left to whatever that five-year asset is. So either way, you're going to be, you know, getting less, less of that uh, hit with, the, with that tax. There are even people who as, want to be as aggressive as even after one year of holding a property, mm-hmm. they will even take out very little value to that five-year property. Now, again, that's aggressive strategy. There are people that do it. There are, you know, very large accounting firms that do this for very large corporations in the United States and they do this. So it is something that can be done. Um, Should you do it? This is a conversation for your tax professional or the operator, whoever is going to be doing that. Right. And that, where would they get that? Uh, I know there's a form you said that Mm -hmm. to fill out, but is that something that they're going to work with? your company since you did the study or through their accountant, their CPA? It's going to be through the accountant. However, when, you know, since we've done that, you already have, you have that broken out from the cost segregation. If you have not done a cost segregation study, so you can't, you, this doesn't even really apply to you. Right. Um, so you're going to get the depreciation recapture tax on the amount of depreciation that was taken because everything was lumped together in one big bucket. Right. Um, and so you're just going to get hit with that tax, uh, at the end of the, at the end of the, at the sale. Right. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, this was really, this is really good information. And, um, so for that, and what we've been talking about is, that's the, that's the limited partner. That's the equity owner's side has nothing to do. Cause you, like you said, in the, in the first example, um, with the 30, I think it was a 36, 32 unit. Um, he was active and we had talked about how it rolls over to offset the active income. If he had any other business and as well as his spouse, but in this case, um, we're talking about how that is not an option. However, here's how cost segregation not only helps you keep what you make while you're getting the distributions 
also at the end to help offset some of the recapture. And we gave, uh, I think, three or four different ways. One, we didn't dive too deep in. And I'll just mention with the 1031, it is, it is, very, it is very rare. It can be done. But for the most part, for you know, I know for our far, firm to accept the tenants in common, they pretty much have to come in with most or all of the equity through that 1031 exchange. And then we can talk and get them in on the TIC. Right. Um, but other than that, if you say I needed, you know, I, I sold a small portfolio of single families, I need 1031, 200,000. It just, it just doesn't make sense right. um, on our end. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So we've covered a tremendous amount of depth on this subject that I don't think I've ever really covered in this amount of depth on any other podcast. So we will definitely have to be spreading this far and wide. We will. <laughs> <laughs> We will. We will. I mean, one of the things that I'm good about is util utilizing, uh, you know, different techniques to get a bite-sized bits out and it entices people when they hear you talking and the value that you're bringing. It will entice people to go and not only listen on the audio, which is syndicated across eight platforms, but they will say, I really need, these guys are talking about slides and obviously they have numbers and math. And I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm driving, I could listen, but as far as <laughs> I'm only so <laughs> while driving, so it'll entice them to go back and I think watch it, use it as a reference almost and say, let right. me make sure I understand that. And if not, they can reach out because when we close out, we're going to let you give your contact info. They can reach out direct to the source and say, hey, I heard that was really good information. I uh, just want to make sure I understand this. And it opens up that line of communication. But we will get it out um, everywhere and encourage people to listen. I have never, and I listen to podcasts, I have never heard anyone break it down this way. And for me, you know, doing investor relations and when we have everything that we do is, is, um, is, is private. We don't have any public offerings. So you don't hear about my offerings unless you know me and we, we meet all the guidelines that the SEC requires. Um, right. But what I'm getting at is I get these types of questions. And even in today's interview, I mean, I'm not you. I'm not the expert. I'm not a CPA. And I tell, I don't have a problem. There's no ego here. I have no problem right. saying that. But I have to be able to answer questions and then lead them to the, the true professional. Right. So this has helped. You know, I, I'm even going to go back and listen to it and take some really good notes because it was just a great episode. A ton of value here. Amazing. Yeah. I, I really appreciate uh, you bringing this out because it was really your idea to touch on these subjects and these topics that we really are things that, you know, that the investor, you know, wants to know about. And even, you know, the operators want to know about, it. I had a phone call with an operator this week who was a, a Madison specs client, you know, that we did a deal for him. Mm -hmm. And, and he actually had partnered with a client of mine. I had never spoken to the, the first party. Um, and he, and he, you know, they had partnered together. So we got on a conference call of the three of us. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, the one guy said, you know, we've used your company before. I really love it. And I have some questions, you know, about the depreciation recapture and, and, you know, some other things and whatnot. You know, we had a great conversation and at the end. He's like, you know, I've owned buildings for years, I'm an operator. I've used cost segregation every time. And these are things that I never knew. And, you know, I really appreciate, you know, the time you spent, you know, just bringing this out. And so, you know, that's what I like, love to do. Just, you know, adding value, providing the information and at least if nothing else, just piquing the curiosity to, you know, to ask more questions, mm -hmm. you know, and drill your accountant. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. You have to help them help you, you know, if you will. Right. 
And one thing, um, because we, we're going to close it out soon, but one thing I wanted, we mentioned when we first started about the solo 401k mm-hmm. and how you're like, you're like, well, that's not even taxed. So the cross segregation on that front is not going to help at all because they're not taxed anyway. Right. Um, my question is, what about them when we talk about this, uh, you know, recapture and they made a profit? Does cost segregation help them there? No, no, no. They're just out of that bucket. They're out. They're in like a different bubble. In that, right. um, their yeah, money. Maybe we don't have time to cover it in detail. I'm just curious, are, are, are those people, because I know a lot, of, a lot of people are encouraged to do it that way because there's other taxes. Like you said, they don't, they're not taxed. There's yeah. three taxes that I'm thinking of right now that like they can pretty much be um, sheltered from as well, but I'm wondering, so they're not taxed on the capital gain? Um, I don't know, maybe this is a whole other episode. Yeah, I think it is a whole other episode. <laughs> They're, no, they're going to get taxed on the capital gain. The only thing that they're not going to benefit from is the depreciation, right? Because they didn't benefit it, so they can't use those three, four buckets we talked about to also help. I see. They didn't benefit from it at all because right. they're not taxed. Correct. On the, I got you. Okay, that makes sense. Well, you know, speaking of closing it out and everything, I just want to reiterate, this was an awesome episode. We want to, you know, keep it bite-sized and chunkable, although I think this is one people are going to go back and use as a reference. But you have, we want to make sure they know how to get a hold of you. And also, he has something I've shared across my social, um, a really um, just phenomenal opportunity for some lucky person. 100%. Thank you, Dino. Yes, you're welcome. So go ahead and share that information and tell us how we can get a hold of you before I close this out. Um, so the best way to find me is on LinkedIn, believe it or not. Check me out there. Uh, very active. And, you know, hit me up. Connection, direct message. But if you want to email me and you want, you maybe have uh, more questions or you have, um, you know, a property that you might want to get a free estimate on, you know, my email is yweiss at madisonspecs.com. So the first letter, my first name, last name, W-E-I-S-S at Madison Specs. And we, uh, you know, hope we can bring you more value in the future. D- definitely. And did you want to talk about the, um, the giveaway? Yeah. Are we going live? We're Soon? not going live, but we have a very fast uh, 24, 48 hour turnaround. Oh, so yeah, that's what I mean. So we actually have a giveaway. If you're listening to this right now, that is happening on December 19th. So the deadline to enter this raffle is December 18th, Wednesday, December 18th. So that if you're listening to this right now and you are holding before December 18th, 2019, okay, go find me on LinkedIn. We have a $5,000 giveaway. We're giving away a free conservation study or $5,000 towards a conservation study. Um, you, all you have to do is enter the raffle and the instructions are on the first line of my LinkedIn profile. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very easy. And if you're connected with me, you probably, uh, you can see me share I've shared it as well. All right. Well, Yona, thanks again so much for coming on. It was a pleasure and we'll definitely have this out in time for people to take part in, um, in your offering. Uh, thank you, Dino. Yes, you're welcome. All right. Well, listeners, I hope you found this information helpful. And whether you're here for the education, like what we all experienced today, the entertainment, or if you or someone you know has a problem finding the right place to invest their money 
and they want education on a phenomenal alternative investment, please help them by sharing this information. I don't have anything to sell, but I am on a mission and I will continue to deliver quality consultative content on a routine basis. Thanks for tuning in. Make it a great day. You certainly deserve it. This is Dino Pierce, CEO of Edified Equity, signing off. Goodbye.